When we last saw junior assassin Hit Girl and young vigilante Kickass, they were trying to live as normal teenagers Mindy and Dave. With graduation looming and uncertain what to do, Dave decides to start the world's first superhero team with Mindy. Unfortunately, when Mindy is busted for sneaking out as Hit Girl, she's forced to retire, leaving her to navigate the terrifying world of high school mean girls on her own. With no one left to turn to, Dave joins forces with Justice Forever, run by a born-again ex-mobster named Colonel Stars and Stripes. Just as they start to make a real difference on the streets, the world's first supervillain, Chris D'Amico, assembles his own evil league and puts a plan in motion to make Kick-Ass and Hit-Girl pay for what they did to his father. But there's only one problem with his scheme. If you mess with one member of Justice Forever, you mess with all of them. Ciao my people, and welcome to our 79th episode of Happiness in Darkness, the superhero movie podcast where we discuss superhero movies from Marvel, DC, Dark Horse Image, and more. If it came from a comic and had theatrical release, you know we'll discuss it. Naturally, there will be spoilers, folks, so you have been warned. I'm one of your co-hosts, DJ Nick, and today we'll be discussing Kick-Ass 2. And with me today to discuss the sequel to the cult classic first film are two Kick-Ass ladies in their own right. On one side, Christine Peruski. Hey, Christine, how are you doing today? You don't think that's just a little bit incredibly racist? (laughs) (laughs) I like that. Nice. you, You doing good today? I am doing great. How about you, Nick? I'm doing wonderful, yeah, and super, super happy to be discussing this uh, very interesting and colourful movie. And on the other hand, of course, we have Holly McMiller. Hey, Holly, how are you today? Doing well, Nick, and how are you doing? I'm doing great, great. You know, we had such a great time discussing the first uh, Kick-Ass film, so I was really looking forward to discussing this one with you both. And Holly, I know you you, uh, really enjoyed the first one, and we're looking forward to discussing the sequel, so uh, very happy you could, you know, join us for sure. So today, of course, we are discussing discussing Kick-Ass 2 from 2013, written and directed by Jeff Wadlow, who my listeners will probably know from Cry Wolf, Truth or Dare, and True Memoirs of an International Assassin. The original score was by Henry Jackman and Matthew Margeson, and an estimate to put it today's money, this movie cost $31 million to make and made $67 million at the box office. So, not a bad return for for this, uh, this sequel. So let's start here with you, Christine. Was this the first time you actually sat down to watch this sequel or was it a rewatch? And what did you make of it? Well, it's uh, been a while. I'd say I I saw it shortly after it came out. And when we discussed doing this one uh, after watching the first one, uh, I thought, you know, I wonder why I never bought uh, Kick-Ass 2. I own Kick-Ass 1 and I really love it. And Rewatching this movie after so many years, I have to say, I know why. Uh, <laughs> I mean, on the surface, it looks like a, a great movie. It's got all the same characters. It's got more going on. But honestly, this movie didn't seem to know what it was trying to say. <laughs> it's like, they, they should be superheroes. They shouldn't be. Uh, okay, we're, we're going to do it, but this will be the last time. Or, no, wait, we should be heroes without masks. And even the villain, it's like... He's trying to be a villain, you know, there's a little bit of a revenge thing in there, but he doesn't even Uh seem to know why he wants to be a villain or what he wants to do with being a villain, just because I'm a villain. And if Uh that all wasn't confusing enough, they've got this mean girl storyline in the middle of it all. So it's just all over the place. And it it didn't seem like it was a cohesive story at all. Which seems to be uh, a lot of what the what folks uh, had problems with when it came to this film compared to the Matthew Vaughan film. And Holly, when it comes to you, um, are you in Christine's ballpark when it comes to this, comes to this movie, or uh, did you have a? And what were your thoughts on this? It was it was enjoyable, and I can I I can agree with Christine. It was kind of a bit over the place. It's just like you get a little bit of civil war, you know to mix your Marvel metaphors and then you got the mean girls and then, yeah, I want to be, you know, I want to get the revenge and then yes, I want to be a superhero, but then I kind of want to get out of it. And I, there was some really good stuff that they could have just taken maybe that mean girls portion out of it. I think it would have been a more cohesive mm. 
movie, I think. Ah, so you think know. maybe yeah, maybe think. focus more on, say, the rivalry between the TMC and Justice Forever, for example? Yes, yes. Mm. I think that might have been a little bit better. I think so too. I mean, I get what they were doing with that, but uh, but I agree. It did seem maybe a little bit tagged on, and we will, of course, discuss it a little bit later when we, we do get to our to th- closing thoughts on this film. So when it comes to me, actually, it depends what day of the week you ask me about this movie, as, <laughs> as my opinions tend to differ every time I watch it. Granted, I pretty much always enjoy it, but there are times when I do feel that compared to the Matthew Vaughan kick-ass Jeff Wadlow kind of decided to take this franchise and take it to the absolute extreme with both the violence and the language and the wackiness. And I do enjoy it for that. But there are times where there's some gags which have worn a little thin on me as I've grown older. Um, And there are times where this film gets very dark. And spoiler, folks, it's even darker in the comics. And I will get to certain examples as we look at our characters. But yeah. There, there, there were moments that I would equate to like so-called fart jokes, for example, that one would say that just did not work with me anymore. It's kind of those, it may remind me of those high school comedies or high school dramas, which, you know, I suppose this is what they were trying to do with this kind of an American pie kind of thing with superheroes. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And I have to be honest, folks, no disrespecting fans who are, uh, of the American Pie franchise. I never got American Pie. It just, I just never enjoyed it. I, it's just because I don't like those kind of comedies. That's just the way I am. But that's why. Thank you. Why... Nick. Thank oh, you. I knew yeah, we clicked on some level. Right, right, right <laughs> oh, there with you. Okay, well, it's good to know that I'm not alone in, in, in the world uh, not liking the American Pie in high school comedies. I'm happy to hear that. But yeah, that's the vibe I got. It was kind of like uh, Jeff Wadlow takes. Uh, superhero characters and uh, does American Pie, literally, with some of the jokes and things that went on in this. But other than that, it was it was cool. So let's get to our players on the board here, starting with our titular character, of course, Aaron Taylor Johnson reprising his role as Dave Lazuski Kickass. So Holly, starting here with you, compared to our first movie, what did you think of Dave slash Kickass in this? Um, good. I wish he would have. I, you know, I know he's trying to stand back, trying to please his dad in a way, but it was just like, okay, you want to do this. You're kind of put in a situation where your dad's just like, hey, stop. I don't want you getting in trouble, but this is what he's kind of become. And he was making it work, so I just don't know. <laughs> what what the hang up was mm. you know it's like just go ahead keep doing what you're doing so so you were as a, you were still happy with uh, with Dave as much as you were in the first film yeah mm. uh, yeah okay and Christine what were your thoughts on on uh, on Dave in this film compared to the first movie well, I feel kind of like they hit the reset button button on him. Like he just started over again where he was in the first mm-hmm. movie, and he, you know, just wanted to go out and be a superhero, and uh, he was still wasn't very good at it, and uh, like he was bored with his life. Like he had actually gotten to the point in the last movie that he realized he didn't want to be a superhero. There were better things in life. Well, apparently he got bored with his girlfriend and wanted to go back to doing the superhero thing again because he was just right back to my life is boring. I don't even know what I want to do out of high school and I'm a senior and which I understand that part. I really do. I'm (laughs) I'm 40. I'm still trying to figure it out. Uh, And um, but you know, he, he goes back out there. He, he starts doing all the stupid mistakes again. But this time, there's a whole group of them kind of doing the stupid mistakes. I, I just, I felt there wasn't any continuation from the last movie. I felt like we were trying to start over again with him uh, without literally starting over. Uh, I still enjoyed the character, and uh, I, li- I think his heart was in the right place. But I saw this already. And I wanted I wanted more, and I, I felt like if we if we got like a follow up movie for Kickass, uh, seeing what we saw of him at the end of it, that would have been the character that I wanted to see. Um, especially he was looking pretty buff there, and yeah. I can't mm-hmm. even do a pull up, let alone a one arm pull up. So 
kudos mm-hmm. on that part. So, <laughs> yes, it's incredible how, should we say, buffed Aaron Taylor Johnson is by the end of this film. I suppose he was kind of prepping for the Quicksilver role because I think that happened. Oh, yeah. I'm not sure if happened in between or thereabouts, but yeah, the guy was just, it was like, wow, you know, yeah, what a, what a transformation. I mean, but coming off our first film, you know, like you guys were saying, where it seemed like Dave and Mindy would actually have um, kind of gone back to their lives, especially more Dave than Mindy, but we find that Dave has kind of decided to hang up his costume and he's back to his regular life, and but he's in a very different place from the guy he was in the first film. As he seems initially happy to live this normal life and let others pick up the superhero mantle. But once again, like you were pointing out, Christine, boredom sets in, which obviously you know, we, we kind of were talk, we talked about it in the first one, was kind of seemed to be the main reason he decided to become kick-ass in the first place. And, you know, my theory was kind of like he has this underlining, underlying condition of being a thrill seeker. So it might just be that he needs his fix. And so he has to get back out there and become a be a hero again. And then, of course, we, we see the part where he asks Mindy to train him here. Oddly, we barely get anything about his relationship with Katie, whom we like see only once, pretty much in one scene when she dumps him, which I thought was odd. But, uh, you know, I guess it seems like his relationship with her is kind of like, yeah, you know, catch you later and everything else. So we, it's kind of like addressed in that one scene. It's like, all right. Um, but other than that, it yeah, seems like yeah. part of what I've been talking about already about this movie is that it's all over the place and you don't seem to be focused on any one thing that was kind of thrown in there. Like, like somebody brought it up at a, a table reading, like, Hey, wasn't there a girlfriend? What's going on with her? Oh yeah, we're gonna we'll just write this one little scene in, and we'll take care of that, and that, and that'll be all on that yeah. topic. Yeah, because he spent. Yeah, go ahead, honey. Oh yeah, it was just like I don't think he got bored with Katie. I think Katie got maybe if possibly maybe Katie got bored with him because he's no longer a superhero. Who knows? I mean, it's just just the way like yeah, catch you later. You know, yeah, we don't which the... would really suck because that was her right. idea too. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's just it was just very odd, you know, that that uh, you know we kind of just got Katie for that one moment where she basically thinks he's sleeping with uh, with Mindy, and that's all we get of her, and he's kind of called a pervert and everything else. But other than that, it seems like his at least his relationship with his father has improved since the first film. I mean, they have grown closer for the most part, which was nice to see. And and of course, it's tragic that Dave's father gets killed by thugs, courtesy of Chris D'Amico, and and an, an involuntary betrayal from Dave's friend Todd. Um, other than yeah. that, I'm sure it haunts him greatly, as often is the case in films, that the last talk he had with his dad was an argument. And uh, and I understand Dave's fr- frustration with his father, but at the same time, I found him rather cruel to him at the same time, as I know that in the heat of the moment, we say things we shouldn't. But I don't think it was Dave's finest hour when he's kind of yelling at his dad and everything else, because obviously his dad has his best interests at heart. And, and as I said, it's that typical cliche of you, fight with somebody and the next scene they die it reminded me a little bit of man of steel when basically uh, jonathan kent spoilers dies and uh, it happens shortly after the kents have had that um, clark and jonathan had a fight in the car so it's pretty much that kind of thing also it doesn't take long for dave to hook up with a new girlfriend i.e night bitch and then that seems you know possible and then he seems to possibly be making a move on mindy at the end of the film granted she kisses him and maybe like she wanted her first kiss but it's like and he does very much embrace what it means to be a hero by the movie's end and also the end post credit scene may leave room for a third film, a third film as, as there are Azar Kikar's comic stories that could be explored. So, uh, so I guess we'll see when it comes to that. So let's get to the Batman to Dave's Robin, Chloe Grace Moretz, reprising her role as Mindy McCready, hit girl. So uh, let's start here with you, Christine. What were your thoughts on Mindy in this one? Not enough hit girl action from Mindy. A lot, <laughs> uh, a little too much Mindy action from hit girl. Uh, I, uh, this is where the, the Mean Girls storyline came in, and I can see why they went there with it. It's a very similar situation to that movie. You know, this this is basically like a foreign country to her high school or mm-hmm. even socializing because her entire life up to this point has really just been with her father. And yeah. now he's gone and she's living with someone who wants her to have a normal life. Uh, you get the expected rebellion part, you know, the fact that she's just uh, continuing with what she knows, being a superhero, 
uh, slaughtering bad guys. Yeah. Uh, coming up Sarah with uh, race come home with her protector. Yes. Oh yeah, I called uh, in. I, called I was waiting for the the Ferris Bueller music to kick in at that point. Uh, <laughs> did, did anybody else else hear that music when uh-huh. she was racing yes. home? Yes. Um, yeah. uh, so uh, it doesn't actually take much effort, I think, for Marcus to get her to stop. Uh, yeah. Just pointing out that the last thing her father told her was to listen to what Mark uh, listen to Marcus and. Yeah. His thoughts is, you're no longer a superhero. You're going to be a normal girl going to high school. Now, what gets me, what I didn't understand is, how do we set up this quote-unquote play date with these girls? Like, the popular girls at school. Uh, it, it's really not the the entry point I would have gone to for uh, someone who's not used to socializing, not used to going to normal school. I would have not picked the popular girls to hang out with because that way lies trouble. I mean, haven't you seen a movie? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is kind of almost a different spin on Buffy the Vampire Slayer with the exception of Mindy being almost the Buffy character. Going with Cordelia and her crew instead of getting sideswiped by Xander and helped by Willow. <laughs> <laughs> nice. You know, I was just like, she should have, you know, and I don't, to make it a little bit better, it would have been, she finds these kids who are trying to be problem solvers of injustices in the school, and it's like, hey, you guys are going about this the wrong way, we want to do it, we're going to do it this way. And Mm. maybe that would have worked a little better, I don't, instead of going the mean girls route, I don't, I don't know. (laughs) Wow. So, Holly, when are you rewriting the script? (laughs) <laughs> I don't know because because it's already sounding better. <laughs> well, well, they are they are apparently. I mean, it's I still think in development hell, but apparently Matthew Vaughn wants to do a reboot series of Kickass. So hey, Holly, you know we could definitely put you forward for that when it comes to the writers' room, definitely. Or or hey, here, how about this idea? Mm, no, let's see. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, though. I mean, how are you going to find, like, the, the quality of Chloe Grace, Grace Moretz again? She was just beautiful, especially in the first one. True. And apparently she doesn't want to come back because she felt uh, that this that she, was, that she wasn't happy with how this film was treated. And because uh, um, apparently shortly after this, the I think the Sandy Hook killings happened. Yes. Yes. And and so this film was kind of marred by that as well because of all the uber violence in this film. And so I think this was film was kind of in inverted commas a victim of coming out in a time where you know obviously we had real violence going on and t- terrible tragedies going on. And so I think the film did also suffer from that. And Chloe was among those who was like you know I wanted to distance herself. From, from what was going on. Also, when we get to him, Jim Carrey as well wanted to distance himself from this film as well. He loved it, but he said, I kind of have to distance myself after the whole Sandy Hook stuff. But Christine, you were, you were pointing out the whole thing about the, um, about the Mean Girls stuff, so you weren't particularly happy with that part. Not really. It just didn't seem to make any sense to me. What, like, there was no transition from her giving up being a superhero to her hanging out with these girls. I don't know at how it happened. They just dropped her off, or like i don't i think they dropped her off at the the other girl's house yep. and that's when it started and i'm like wait this is the first time we're meeting this girl how does she know her why are we hanging out with her she also seems like a, an upperclassman whereas uh mindy is a freshman how did this start and it just doesn't seem like the natural progression for her like she seems to be able to sniff out bs with like mm-hmm. people on the street, but for some reason not picking up on it with these girls or with that guy who she sort of asked out and then like agreed to go out with him. I again like they spend so much. Uh, they they try to shove so much into this movie that no individual story really got enough time, enough explanation, and I think Mindy's story was the one that suffered the most. Mm-hmm. Although I did enjoy watching her kind of realize she was a girl <laughs> like that one scene where they show her that music video like that boy band and suddenly yeah. she realizes she has like girl parts 
<laughs> I thought and, that was funny. And Union J are actually a real band. I actually thought they were seriously. Members. Yeah, I actually oh went, went to see. And I have to admit, you know, I, I you know, my uh, musical taste uh, is very colorful and varied. You know, I'll go from like the hardest hardcore band to the sugariest pop song, and I actually don't mind Carry You. It's but- actually. It's it's very very. Sh- I mean, Union J is you know a very stereotypical, or you know, boy band, but they actually do exist. And I have to admit, I didn't mind that song. It was actually the sound. The, what I will say that is great about this film is the soundtrack. The soundtrack is really really good. Um, but uh, but yeah, and and then the, you know you point out the fact that uh, that um, Mindy discovers that she's a she you know she, she gets in touch with her more feminine side, if you will, even sure. later when. When she sees um, Dave shirtless, she kind of is like staring at him for a bit because before she never paid attention to that. And it's like, ah, OK. Um, so I, I do I do agree with you both. I mean, I do feel we initially get that kind of fish out of water storyline with her. You know, granted, two years have apparently passed since the events of the first movie, but it seems like. Mindy is still struggling to fit in when it comes to high school and certainly feels more comfortable in the world she knows, which is, of course, Hit Girl. Though it is great how she does draw from her experience as a vigilante hero and applies it to real life. Like, the scene of the cheerleading tryouts is fantastic. (laughs) Okay, so there was this movie from, like, I think the 80s. Did anybody Mm -hmm. see Sidekicks? I have to admit I haven't, Christine. Um, Uh, Well, I'm not surprised. But enlighten us, enlighten us. Oh, uh, I can't even remember the name of the actor. One of those pretty boys from like the 80s or maybe it was the 90s. I don't know. And it's, it's actually a Chuck Norris film. Uh, this, it's this kid who uh, spends his entire days daydreaming. Like the, the movie starts with him in the middle of a daydream. And he is apparently talk, like doing the, the talking that he's, you're supposed to do in your head. He's doing it out loud and he's in class. That's how bad his daydreaming is. But he's always daydreaming that he's like Chuck Norris's sidekick. Uh, so there was uh, he does get involved in martial arts, and uh, there was this scene where he does like a kata, like she does, and uh, he just goes into a daydream and imagines he's like a ninja. And I'm like, oh my god, this is sidekicks again. Well, maybe Wadlow is definitely drawing probably from all those kind of influences, I'm thinking, when it comes to all these kind of, as I said, kind of high school movies and what have you. I mean, it also, you know, because, of course, you know, you talked to both mentioned it. You have that mean girl stereotype, Brooke, who really kind of helps. And it's interesting how she inadvertently helps um, hit girl get back on track without realizing it. And I think that. Mindy very much embraces that concept of her civilian self as the mask and the true person is hit girl. As we see, you know, how underdeveloped Mindy is as a person, if you will, compared to how sure of herself and developed she is almost as a woman as hit girl. So it is kind of curious that you have these two sides, one which is more, you know, a per- should we say the person than the other. And I believe that she has also made more sense of her life by the movie's end and is now leaving because, hey, she's wanted for murder. <laughs> and that could make for quite a movie by itself. I would just love to see Hit Girl kind of traveling the world being chased by cops because she, she's like, I killed some people. I'm going to have to go. <laughs> and, uh, I did, see, there I, we go. We don't yeah. need to do a kick-ass movie. We could do a Hit Girl movie. You can recast. If she- yeah. She doesn't want to do it again. And then, like, it'll just be about Hit Girl. And then we won't have too many storylines going on. Uh, Side note, Sidekicks was from 92. And uh, the pretty boy I'm thinking of was Jonathan Brandis from Sequest. Yes. Yes. I gotcha. Like, wait a minute, I think. And then I was like, yes, I was right. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, thank you for that. Yeah, but I really, I did enjoy the journey that that, um, Mindy went on. But I do agree with you both. She would, it was the character of Hit Girl was definitely more sacrificed for wanting to give us, hey, Mean Girls. Remember Mean Girls, folks? We're going to show it to you all over again. So I'm like, okay. Um, Yeah, I, I never understood what the obsession with that movie, why everybody loves it so much. 
Uh, I have no clue myself, Christine, unless there's some fetish on on side of us guys loving to see, you know, girls being mean to each other. I don't know. I mean, I, I tend to blame it on the men for some reason, but I think it probably is because of that. Because I was like, oh, it's not. <laughs> it's like men seeing women wrestling in the, in the mud, for example. They find that incredibly, um, it, it's exactly, sensual. So maybe like, oh, girls being mean to each other. Maybe there's some kind of sexual fetish in there. I don't know. But <laughs> that's, that's my thought. So let's look our, at our new additions to this sequel, starting with the character who stands out quite a bit for his performances, possibly the most developed of the group when it comes to Justice Forever, kind of like the, the TMC when it comes to supervillain team. We have, of course, surprisingly, Jim Carrey as Sal Bertolini, Colonel Stars and Stripes. So, Holly, what did you make of the Colonel and were you surprised to see Jim Carrey in this? Yes, it was a very, I was impressed with how he played it. Because, I mean, he could have played it over the top and wacky, but he played it straightforward, a little little comedic touches here and there. It was just like, wow, okay, you're showing your acting chops here. Mm. And not letting yourself be dragged down by some of the other off the wall stuff that's going on. So I was, I was rather impressed and him would... even trying to tell the team, Hey, this is how we're going to do it, but let's not go too crazy. So, I mean, he was trying to rein people in cause he kind of knew, Hey, these aren't professional superheroes here. I at least have some experience. Here's my, expertise and advice i'm going to make sure you stay alive <laughs> yes and even even though sadly he didn't which is very sad yes and uh, yeah and 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 christine what were your thoughts on on our colonel i'm gonna be honest I, until a few days ago i didn't realize that was jim carrey I was looking up something totally unrelated to that character and stumbled across the interview about the Sandy Hook thing. And I was like, wait, that's Jim Carrey? Oh, my God. What did they do to his face? <laughs> and there's definitely some makeup on at least the top half of his face, yeah. which he, he then wears underneath the mask most of the movie. It it was definitely convincing. Uh, I didn't realize it was him. It was definitely a different look for him. Um now, I was, honestly, I was constantly expecting Colonel Stars and Stripes to be a bad guy. Like, uh, somebody who just wanted to do violence. I, I assumed, like, that, that gang of uh, traffickers that they were you know, beating up and arresting, I thought they were, like, just going to be legit businessmen. I, just, I kept expecting for something like that to happen. Like, we don't know anything about this Colonel guy. I don't feel like he's on the up and up. And, you know, maybe, like, something in the back of my head told me, that's Jim Carrey. You can't trust him in a role <laughs> like that. <laughs> so there's got to be something else going on. And maybe... Maybe that was just another uh, bad side effect of them trying to do too much with the movie. We didn't get enough of this storyline uh, explaining uh, how these people met and why we feel like we can trust this guy whom we basically know nothing about. So uh, it was a... Uh, he was definitely an interesting character, but I was constantly plagued by this I don't think I can trust this guy feeling until, of course, he got killed. Yeah, well, don't feel too bad about not recognizing him because I didn't realize either the very first time I watched this film. I only realized when the end credits came up and I was like, Jim Carrey? Who was Jim Carrey in this film? I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> and yeah, it's just, yeah, I do think definitely they, they must have applied prosthetics to his face as well to kind of age the character, age him a little bit. Because um, you can, obviously, once you know, you can see it's him, at least obviously when he takes the um, the, the mask off. But, uh, but it, is, it is very convincing makeup indeed. And what is, what is uh, obviously a big difference from this film compared to the first one is the body count in this film is very high. And the first time I saw this, I was so bummed that this character got killed off as I think Jim was fantastic in this role. And I also point out that I'm so glad that Eisenhower was not killed in this film. Mm -hmm. As if memory serves, the, the TMC do kill her as well in the comics 
even though after the death of the colonel, you know, in here, you know, we don't see Eisenhower anymore, which was odd because apparently, you know, um, Mother Russia was about to kill him or her, pardon me. And uh, and um, Chris says to her, I'm not that evil, but we don't see Eisenhower after that. So you think because you think that obviously they would have, you know, Eisenhower would have stuck around with the rest of the heroes, but we don't maybe see they her sent anymore. the dog off to the colonel's sisters along with flowers. It could be, yeah. could be that, could be that, yes, because maybe, yeah, but I also loved Eisenhower as well. Eisenhower is like the MVP in this film, but uh, this is clearly, you know, obviously a parody of kind of Captain America as also his battle guy, obviously, and I love how he reprimands the team when they blaspheme, which kind of made me think of Captain America from Age of yes. Ultron. <laughs> <laughs> which obviously <Play> language <laughs> that's right and, and and it apparently makes sense as obviously Saul Bertolini was a born again Christian since his mob enforcer days and I just love what a father figure and mentor he is to the Justice Forever people and I, but I would have wanted more uh, Colonel Stars and Stripes all day every day and, and here's the thing how in the world did the TMC find the hideout? I don't get that. Do you guys have a theory for that? No, no. Bad writing. Uh, yeah. Ah, uh, so you think it's a, a just, la- a just convenience? Yeah. <laughs> or <laughs> head cannon rewrite theory. Mama Amico mm-hmm. was a villainess, had a little side hustle. Son found out about it, and that's where he wound up getting the hideout. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, because obviously we know that Chris knew that, uh, in fact, was able to find out, Lord knows how, that uh, Colonel Stars and Stripes was, in fact, an enforcer who had worked for his dad. But mm-hmm. you'd think, he, you know, that that um, Colonel Stars and Stripes would have been super careful about not, you know, kind of letting his identity, his civilian identity be known not to mention we know that this hideout is like super secret and nobody knows about it and everything else is like it seemed a little bit convenient that out of nowhere the tmc pop up and they you know and obviously colonel stars and stripes get killed gets killed mm-hmm. well um I, I would have to rewatch just to be sure uh it's possible that someone followed them i mean they were very public uh, mm-hmm. One thing I did enjoy about True. this this little uh, team, Justice Forever, is that they did community service, which I could totally get behind a group of people dressing like superheroes to do community service. I mean, that would be fun. That would that would get people into community service. So it uh-huh. wouldn't be much to follow them back to their lair after something like that. But another theory could be uh, apparently one thing Chris did have going for him was a good tech guy since Mm -hmm. they weren't able to track his internet activity. Maybe they tracked their internet activity. Hmm. Yeah, that would make sense too. I just wish the movie would tell us because I was like, hey, how did they find that? (laughs) It's like, okay. And how did Mindy meet those girls at school? Yes. Movie magic. Exactly. <laughs> oh well. And we're finding out why this movie didn't do too well, and why we haven't really watched it that much since it came out. Yes. <laughs> there, there are answers are slowly starting to to show themselves. So, as this cast is pretty heavy when it comes to the numbers we get of of actors around, I thought we could actually discuss Justice Forever as a group. And point out our favorites, because there are quite a few. And of course, making up the team, we have the aforementioned battle guy, Marty, of course, reprising from the first film, Bill Duke. We also have, in addition to him, Donald Folson as Samuel Keir's Dr. Gravity, Lindy Booth as Miranda Swedlow Night Bitch, and we have also Robert Ems as David Keir's Insect Man, and Stephen McIntosh and Monica Dolan, who together are Remembering Tommy. So, Christine, when it came to our group of heroes, did you have a particular favorite, and what did you think of these guys? You know, they didn't really stand out to me at all. Uh, this is another weak point of the movie that I, I did, couldn't really latch on to any of these characters, even though we got a little bit more of Dr. Gravity because he showed up earlier and thus introduced Kick-Ass to the rest of the team mm. that I couldn't really get much out of them. Like, Night Bitch just seemed to be in it for the thrill of it, and I get... The impression that she probably wouldn't have mind sleeping around that group if they were a little more available. She might have had a thing with Dr. Gravity before Kick-Ass showed up. Who knows? (laughs) 
Uh, I thought remembering Tommy was an interesting take. They, you know, it's not a normal or even one of their weird superhero names, but it was, it was sweet and something I think a little more believable and the reason why somebody might do something like this. Um, so th- I, I liked that. The insect man thing got me. I didn't, I, I didn't understand why he was calling him that himself that. And I understand his reasoning for not wearing a mask, but it seemed like a, another way to really open up the door for a supervillain to find your home and hurt you. So it, it actually is shocking to me that he wasn't the victim of that from the start because he walks around showing his face. This is very true. And uh, and Holly, what were your thoughts on our uh, Justice Forever group? Um, the memory Tommy group, you know, a nice way to try to honor their son. Night bitch, I kind of agree with Christine in it for the thrill and just like, oh, hey, you're available. I like you. Hi. Here I am. Let's make out. And it's just like, <laughs> really? Coming on a little too strong. <laughs> mm, yeah. And and what did you and uh, you know what did you think of um, of Battle Guy, for example? Because uh, you know, because obviously he was the only sort of one of the few carryovers from the first film. Yeah. I. It was nice to see him back, but then too, it's just like you have so many characters that how are we going to spend the attention on all of them? So if they could have maybe cut down on a couple of the, the team, it might've been a little more cohesive. I don't. Mm. Yeah. Cause that's See, they needed to get the Scott, Pro- they needed to get the Scott Pilgrim people over here because they managed to <laughs> shove a lot of characters into a movie and gave them all a decent amount of time. Very mm-hmm. true, Christine. Oh, where are the Russo brothers when you need them? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I, I don't know what they would have done with this. This could have been like super epic and kind of had like this. Yeah, I could, I kind of see uh, Kick-Ass 2 done by the Russo brothers. That would have been like uh, <laughs> a, a kind of Homeric kind of heroic kind of thing. It would have been interesting to see, though. So even though we did not have enough time, you know, to develop these characters as much as Colonel Stars and Stripes, who doesn't get much himself... I did enjoy these guys. I mean, I suppose Night Bitch and Dr. Gravity are the ones that get the most screen time compared to the others. And when it comes to Night Bitch, I mean, aside from having, like you guys were saying, having this fetish of having sex with kick-ass with their costumes on, she has no qualms letting social media know that she's dating him, which is a you know, mistake number one here. And in fact, that's one of the things which makes sense in the movie, how Chris finds her. Um, and... I did find the moment when Dave and, Mar- and Miranda all night bitch see each other for the first time without masks. It was a cute and fun moment. And you do wonder once Justice Forever is apparently put on ice by Movie's End, whether her and Dave will continue seeing each other or whether for Miranda it was just part of the superhero deal. She's like, you know, probably dating somebody else. And mm, I, 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 think, yeah. I think it's that last one there. Oh, uh, you think so? Yeah. She's she's not going to call yeah. him back. <laughs> I don't think so. Also, I, I got the impression she was a little bit older, you know, maybe yeah. like 22, 24, and he's, you know, senior in high school. It was it was fun while you didn't know that for sure. But, if, you know, once you know, it's a little awkward. Yeah, because she was seen kind of taken aback. She's like, you're kind of cute under the mask, but she seemed like a little bit taken aback. Wow, you're kind of young. Um, and I love also Dr. Gravity because just the enthusiasm he has about the team and how much he embraces really wanting to make a difference. And was so. And I was so happy that his baseball jokes actually got a payoff during the final battle. That was, that was, that was hilarious. And also, like you guys were saying, I found remembering Tommy just adorable as they are once again completely out of their depth when it comes to things that Justice Forever does, but they get their moments to shine, and they make such a sweet couple amidst all the blood and violence. It's almost like the nice version of uh, Honey Bunny and um, and the other, and her, and her husband and Pumpkin in in uh, in uh, Pulp Fiction. That yep. kind of love of we're doing all this crazy stuff, but that that's the vibe I got. And Battle Guy. Hey, well, hey, yeah. a, a brick in a purse is nothing to, to shy away from. 
<laughs> True. I mean, it does hurt. I get. I, I, I yeah, don't get me wrong. But I, I thought that was great. And then they just share that little kiss, and off they go to battle stuff together. It was fun. And you know, battle guy. I guess Marty is just fun to watch, as I guess he represents the awkward and outcast nerd who wants a place to belong, and is really kind of enjoying the ride. And is I think he's fanboying more than Dave is during the course of the film, which, which was yeah. great. And we, you have to love that he throws out the Batman storyline or the Batman origin yeah. story. He was like, okay, my parents were gunned down when we went to the theater. Where have I heard this before? Um, What's but, all that Batman? crap about your parents being dead? Yeah. yeah. So it's like, okay. But I, mean, it was, but I agree. We got a lot of great characters, but not enough character development, which is the big problem. And, and as I said, Jeff Wadlow really hasn't kind of done much after this so you know kind of explains that as a director but anyways moving on as we did discuss justice forever let's look at their coin opposite the tmc before we get to their leader so in this case we have andy nyman as tony the tumor daniel kaluuya as black death tom Wu as Gengis carnage olga kurkolina as katerina dombrovsky mother russia and i think we could possibly throw in John Ligizamo as Javier. So, Holly, starting here with you, what were your thoughts on the TMC? A uh, ragtag group that kind of wants to kind of do their own thing, but their leader is basically pretty much telling them, hey, this is the way it has to be. You're doing this, you're doing that. And Javier's just like, really kid and he just kind of lets it slide is because the leader is going to be throwing a a toddler temper tantrum if things don't go his way it's like okay just i'll let it go you're gonna learn one way or the other (laughs) take you down a peg or two but (laughs) i mean an interesting bunch but yeah i wouldn't mess with mother russia (laughs) (laughs) I'm surprised she didn't change teams <laughs> halfway yeah, through. She, yeah, because she could probably just create her own team, seeing how kind of uh, overpowered she is compared to the rest. I mean, did you actually have oh. a personal favorite? I mean, I'm assuming that's it's Mother Russia, but did you have any 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 personal favorites in these? Mm, probably Mother Russia out of the whole out of the whole shooting match for the TMC. Because <laughs> <laughs> the other ones were just kind of like, oh, okay. You know, they're just there to have a fun time and be bad guys and bust things up. <laughs> yeah, that, I think that's, that's pretty much their purpose. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. And Christine, what were your thoughts on the TMC? And uh, did you have a particular favorite character? I only have eyes for Mother Russia <laughs> and her abs. I watched that movie just enthralled with her abs. And I'm like, I want them. I want the abs. <laughs> And then, then I was promptly told that I better get working out. And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> well, it seems like I believe Olga Kurkolina is a professional bodybuilder, apparently, which would explain Bodybuilder. And apparently a long jumper as well, which those abs would really come in you know, handy for. Her. <laughs> she definitely dominated over the rest of the group. I don't even know that any of the rest of them were necessary, that she did everything. I think my favorite sequence of this whole movie was her fighting the cops on, like, Suburbia Street. <laughs> like, why is there a lawnmower on top of the car? <laughs> and, of like, course you have the, and, of course, you had to have the Tetris soundtrack, didn't you? Oh, I don't even remember hearing that. Yeah. But, oh, God, that makes sense, though. <laughs> of course. <laughs> oh, it's Russian. Yeah. Just the names already being already kind of on the nose. Of what what do you do? You throw in the Tetris uh, music. Why not? <laughs> I, now I have to go back and watch. Was it during that scene? Because I can watch that scene again. No problem. It, it, you'll be happy to know it is that scene. <laughs> Excellent. Oh, I need to pay more attention to the music. But I got to say, uh, disappointed with, again, not enough screen time, not enough story for Javier. Because... Uh, I enjoyed John Linguizamo in mm-hmm. several things. And, you know, he's a great actor, but he just, he was barely there. Uh, he was, you know, just the the right-hand guy at the, at the house. And uh, he just moved from one boss to the next. And he seemed like he really wanted to be there for Chris. But uh, then he just gets used as an example by 
uncle what's his face in prison um uh-huh. <laughs> so i'm like I, it just didn't feel i i don't feel like chris had enough time to really connect with javier for or in the movie for that to be a really motivating move for him so just not enough of everybody in this movie not enough story not enough character development it just another disappointing point for me Uh, i i hear you though i I have to say this i don't see why javier is like um so upset about being compared to to alfred because alfred is badass and cool yeah (laughs) yes he is but uh, unless because i mean i'm assuming his role prior was should we say the um, advisor to the mob, if you will, the consigliere, I suppose. That yeah. might have been his role, kind of like Tom Hagen for the, the Corleone family in Godfather. I'm thinking that's the role he had and maybe being compared as a butler to him was like, dude, I'm not a butler. I'm an advisor, mm-hmm. if you will. So maybe to him it right. was being, maybe it was that. I'm, that's what I'm thinking it is. But John Leguizamo is fantastic. And I was so... Once again, I was so sad that he got killed off. I really, really was. I mean, I, I do believe it is safe to say that the villains are possibly even more underdeveloped compared to Justice Forever, with the possible exceptions of Mother Russia and Javier, because aside from the clearly on the nose racist stereotypical names they get saddled with, they did make for a rather creepy and terrible bunch, and you hate them even more if you read the comics as folks. The scene where they arrive in at Night Bitch's house, which happens in the comics too, it's made clear in the comics that they actually do gang rape her. While here it is, of course, played for laughs because Chris D'Amico is unable to perform, if you will. And I think it's probably for the best that Jeff Wadlow went that route because you have so much uber violence and then you add gang rape to it. It might not have been so easy to sell, I think. Um... But yeah, in the comics, that's that's basically what happens, and you do very much feel their menace in that in that moment. But as I mentioned, and you guys were mentioning as well, the standout is definitely Mother Russia, who gets the most to do and is clearly the most threatening and dangerous of the group by a long shot. As we also see, even how Hit Girl struggles to finally defeat her, and as much as it was on the nose, I did find that the as I was mentioning, the metal version of Tetris playing worked for me because I mean, heck, I have spent hours and possibly years of my life playing Tetris when I should be I should have been doing other things. But um, and it may sound crazy, but my and my favorite character in this group is actually uh, Javier because he's the only level-headed guy in the group and actually points out the racism and just the apparent craziness of the situation. And I was so shocked that he was killed off. I really was. Because I thought to myself, he's going to stick around and he might live to another day when it comes to everybody else being killed off. But it was it was very sad. So let's get to the leader of the TMC and main villain, Christopher Mintz-Plass, reprising his role as Chris D'Amico with the new code name, The Mother Effer. So, Christine, starting here with you, we saw him as Red Mist, and here we see him go to this new role. What did you make of Chris in this film? Two words. Therapy. (laughs) (laughs) He needed a lot of it. Like, a a lot. I mean, first off, the obsession with wanting revenge on Kick-Ass for what he did to his father, even though he knows what his father was. The fact that he was in a constant argument with his mother about his obsession and her just wanting to not deal with the situation. The fact that he accidentally kills her and wow, we spent a whole three seconds on that. Um, He warned her like, Ooh, this is something's wrong here. I need to talk to somebody. Nope. Yeah. Back to moving on. Yeah. Uh, oh, hey, my mom was into kink- some kinky stuff. Costume. Okay, <laughs> seriously, therapy. Javier, get this kid to therapy. You can see what's wrong with him. Do something about it. He was just ridiculously obsessed. And 
uh, like I said at the beginning, he didn't seem to have a plan other than, uh, you know, revenge on Kickass and I want to be a villain. This is my calling, except I don't know what to do with it. I'm going to uh, get an evil lair because uh, supervillains have evil lairs. I'm going to get a bad guy team because that's what supervillains do. And I like, he spends a whole minute thinking he's going to learn how to fight and that's just too difficult for him. So he ends up paying people to do it. And then, like, uh, we gotta have uh, fertilizer for bombs, even though I don't even know how to make it. I just know it involves crap, except not that kind of crap. And let's just have it lying around the lair. And he, like, if, if none of that was enough to convince anybody, he felt the need to have a shark in a tank in his secret lair. Therapy. Mm-hmm. Yes, I, 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 you make you make fantastic points there, indeed, and and yes, the kid definitely needs therapy and then some. And and, and Holly, what were your thoughts on our main villain? Uh, yeah, I am right there with Christine. The kid needs therapy, and then I mean, he, for a guy who was not thrilled with what he found out about his father's actual job and trying to. Hey, Let's not go down this road. Hey, Dad got killed with the bazooka. Hey, I want my revenge. You know, and then accidentally offy mom. It's just like, brother, you know, it's just like, listen to advice. (laughs) But no, one track mind. (laughs) Yes. And is look, I don't want to sound stereotypical here, but didn't they make his mom kind of stereotypical, kind of the Jersey Shore mother? Yeah, 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 a, a, a bit, yeah. Because I, I mean, I would have loved to see it played a little bit different and have her kind of turn out to be, hey, I'm ticked off too that my husband got blown up by a bazooka. I want revenge too, and it would have been an interesting having a mother daughter or mother son team up as villains. That would have been interesting. I, I think so too. Because Nancy, Nancy Butler can play a kick-ass action woman. She was in Hard Target and Witchblade. And in Witchblade, she could kick some serious booty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because that, I mean, as I said, I don't want to offend anybody, you know, from, from the beautiful state of New Jersey, but she, she kind of did remind me a little bit of a kind of a Jersey Shore mom in the sense of, granted, also the, the strong accent doesn't help either, but um, it did seem very stereotypical to me, and it seems like this movie does play fast and loose with a lot of stereotypes, and obviously that's, I guess, one of the purposes of the film is kind of like showing you how ridiculous certain stereotypes are um but it did blow me also away at how sociopathic and truly evil he does become uh, chris i mean as we'd seen some possibly redeeming qualities in the first film but here uh-huh. those kind of begin to melt away you know starting from when he accidentally kills his mom because like yeah mommy and then like two minutes later he's going through her stuff and you know checking out her guns and all this kind of thing but to when he barely flinches after Javier is killed by one of his uncle's goons. You know, at first he's like, he, because obviously well, I guess he wants to play it cool in front of his uncle. But there you see the something snaps in that moment. And that event, I think, pretty much pushes him over the edge and turns him completely over to the dark side. As I was thinking, either he just doesn't want to show weakness in front of his clearly disturbed and psychopathic uncle or whether something has really broken inside him. As we do see the kid side of him again, as I'd mentioned before, when Mother Russia is about to kill Eisenhower, and he states that he's not that evil. Yeah, he's prepared to, you know, institute a gang rape of of a girl a few scenes later. So it's hard to say. Or simply, he's just completely traumatized and gone around the bend. And, you know, to take uh, Christine's point, definitely therapy, because this is very much a messed up kid. Very much so. You know... I question the amount of power his uncle has in prison. I mean, he tried to give the impression that he has a lot of ability to control things from in there, but you'd think after he saw how his nephew reacted to that situation, he would have done something to stop him from, I don't know, existing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a very, you know, Cause God knows what kind of havoc that kid's going to wreak out there. Stop him. Yeah. Give him some and do therapy. we know if, yeah. And do we know if the uncle was, his father's brother or his mother's brother. <laughs> <laughs> True, but I'm going with father's brother. Yeah, mm. but you would think, hey, you killed your mom. 
something's not right here, kid. <laughs> yeah. And not to mention, you know, to, to go to on that point as well, he's supposed to be the one who's now currently running the family business, if you will. He could possibly see Chris as a threat and maybe say to him, you know, I'm running the business here, kind of chill out. And he kind of does tell him, you know, do something with, you know, go and read some comics or go to your room or, you know, words to that effect. But he doesn't really act upon it. And we see that, you know, just the way he got Javier killed, he could have had Chris, you know, either taken care of, maybe not murdered, but maybe just taken away someplace where he wouldn't be a nuisance. Um, so it did, that, that was another loose end for sure. So before we get to ratings, uh, did any, did either of you have uh, any, any final thoughts before we do get to ratings here? I feel like this movie could have been done better, and I would very much welcome a redo on this. Uh, although, I think if you were going to redo this with a new cast, you'd probably have to start over entirely. And uh, Well, okay, you know, uh, the first one was great, really great, but uh, if it meant getting uh, a better storyline of uh, what happens with Hit Girl and Kick-Ass after that first incident, then... I think I could handle a reboot. And Holly, did you have any anything else before we get to got to ratings? Mm, nothing else that I can think of. Okay, no, because I, I here's the only thing I was going to point out was just the fact of as as Christine was saying, we rumor has it as I mentioned before that we will be getting a Kickass and Hit Girl reboot directed by Matthew Vaughn, and I'm really hoping that happens because. You know, as, as you were pointing out, Christine, Matthew Vaughn did a fantastic job with the first Kick-Ass film. So I have a feeling that in his hands, it would probably be something great and something fun to watch. And heck, why not make it even because he wants to do apparently a new series of movies. I thought that, I think this would be great for as a TV show. I think it could really, really work if you really want to mm. develop the characters of Kick-Ass and Hit Girl together. It could actually make for a great TV show. I mean, I'm looking at those kind of big networks which kind of do you know like the big the almost more adult things you know i could see this on an a an hbo max or you know and and you know those kind of kind of or netflix even i could see them doing this granted um marvel owns kick-ass the, or the kick-ass franchise because this was kind of a offshoot of that i'm not sure if if, if, if uh, disney has the rights to this because <laughs> it would be interesting to see. It does if not Disney feel ever... like Disney. <laughs> 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 it would be interesting to see. Yeah, a, a should we say, um, and not really an MCU, but maybe you know, something a la uh, that with with Kickass. But I'm not. I have to be honest. I don't know where they own the rights to to Kickass and Hit Girl because it is an offshoot of Marvel. So. It could be, but I mean, we know, of course, that a lot of rights to characters are owned by various companies. I look at Spider-Man with Sony and everything else, so I'm not sure when it comes to that. So, One let's more thought here. Go ahead. Uh, I got to say, this uh, was my second in one week Evan Peters-related disappointment. Ouch. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> You know, oh, they, yeah. they recast it. The character wasn't that big in here, uh, of course, uh, but Todd used to be Evan Peters in the first one, and it it it's shown through. Like, the, I don't know who this actor was, but he just didn't feel like the, the previous Todd. He didn't even feel like a character I wanted in the movie. So, again, I'm disappointed with Evan Peters-related stuff. Oh, man. I mean, really, there you go. I mean, Christine, your your heart was broken multiple times yes. in the course of this, yes. this week. I, and, I, and, I, and I do apologize for that. Um, so let's get then to ratings then. Holly, let's start with you. What do you give this film out of 10? Mm, I give it a 6 out of 10. It was good. There was some glimmers. But mm, trying to do a little too much all at once. <laughs> Oh. And and exactly. I, I, I kind of yeah yeah no uh, but and and, uh, and I kind of feel sad because I I remember that uh, you were so hyped with the first movie you were really looking forward to the sequel and I hope that this has not you know kind of dashed your expectations for you know or hopes that they you know, I mean would you like to have another kick ass or hit goal uh, show if ever resurfaced I I would but let's. Let's just make sure that the script serves and hits the original first movie 
and feel <laughs> and yeah. not just do it to say, hey, here it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because that's the only thing, because I remember how excited and thrilled you were because you had not known of this movie, you know, till we, of course, you know, had watched it since we'd gotten you here on Happiness and Darkness. So I, it, I was so happy, you know, to see, you know, find new fans, if you will, when it came to this. Granted, you know, I don't own any of the kick-ass stuff, but still, it makes me happy as a, you know, fellow geek to get other people into stuff that I enjoy. So it made me very, very happy, you know, that you were so, in, you know, enthralled by the first one. Kind of sorry that this one kind of disappointed you. And Christine, what do you give this film out of 10? Well, uh, I was being wishy-washy about it because I love the first one so much and a lot of the same actors were here doing the same roles, but I eventually settled on six and a half out of ten poorly made tanning beds. <laughs> Very nice. I'm actually going to give this a seven out of ten as I did enjoy it. But re-watching it with a more critical eye, I was thinking to myself, you know, I, I was literally picking, poking holes through this. Like there was, how did the TMC find Justice Forever's secret hideout? How did the or Colonel Stars and Stripes, you know, or was it because of that that he'd worked for Chris's father? Or how did Justice Forever find the TMC's base? Um, there were so many things that I just made not didn't make sense, but just there were so many loose ends and that kind of upset me a little bit. And I was like, cause I really love the, the, love the first one. This one did let me down. I do enjoy rewatching it, but it does have many, many problems. Those nitpicks aside, I mean, it was a fun movie to watch and, and, you know, I'm actually hoping that uh, this uh, kick-ass and hit girl reboot won't stay in development hell for too long because the characters are great and the stories are fantastic. So I'm hoping that in this era now where anything and everything superhero related is getting a new lease on life and a better lease on life, I'm really looking forward to uh, what Matthew, you know, giving it back to Matthew Vaughn and seeing what else he can do with this, with this franchise for sure. So when it comes to reading recommendations, uh, did either of you have anything you wanted to uh, suggest to our listeners? Sorry, no. Nope. No, I haven't had a chance to delve into the kick-ass. <laughs> okay. Quite. Well, well, then you're, you've come to the right place then, Holly, because when it comes to our listeners out there and you know, even you, Holly, if you want to read, read some kick-ass stuff, for those who've watched this film and want to actually see how it differs from screen to comics, I have one suggestion and one suggestion only, which is the trade paperback, Kick-Ass 2, Balls to the Wall. This is literally, what you see on screen is pretty much what plays out in the comics. There are a few extra things, and of course it does lead on to further storylines in the comics. So if you want to check out uh, check out that, that's Kick-Ass 2, Balls to the Wall. As I mentioned be prepared. It is even darker than what is shown on screen. And obviously they couldn't show certain things on screen because of that reason, but it's a fantastic, fantastic series. And that's kick-ass two balls to the wall and heck while you're at it, check out anything kick-ass related because it's just fantastic. So dear listeners, if you want to be like Christine and Holly and join us here on the show to discuss a movie of your choice, feel free to shoot us an email at happiness and darkness, how at gmail.com. We also really appreciate your thoughts and feedback about the show. You can reach out to us with those also at happiness and Darkness, how at gmail.com. Feel free to show your support by giving us a like on Facebook, where you'll find us as Happiness in Darkness. You can follow us on Twitter, we're at High Darkness Pod, or on Instagram under Hin Darkness. Also, if you'd like to support the podcast, if feeling generous, you can check out the great tiers we have going on on Patreon. There, you'll also be able to pick films that go outside of what are considered regular superhero movies, like, for example, 300, or Road to Perdition, or I Kill Giants, Death Note, and more. Or even films which inspired comics, like The Aliens franchise, or Robocop, or Terminator. The list is endless. To check all that out... You can head to Patreon. That's patreon.com slash happiness in darkness. Definitely a big, big thank you to all our wonderful patrons out there for your support. And among these is, we're very proud and honored to say is Holly. And so we definitely thank you, Holly, and all our wonderful patrons for sure. So, guys, when it comes to you and what you do, where can I find this is find you on the interwebs? Let's start with you, Christine. 
Well, you can follow my exploits through podcast land where I just do a lot of guest spots, especially here. I'm becoming <laughs> a regular here. Uh, but you can like my page on Facebook, Christine Peruski, or you can follow me on Twitter, C underscore Peruski. And as I'm sure Nick loves to bring up, uh, I'm going to bring it up first this time. Uh, I did a little bit of voice acting for a couple of audio books, uh, steampunk audio. Uh, they, uh, the books are Tales of the Airship Neverland and Fairy Dust Never Rusts, both available on Audible. Fantastic. And Holly, what about you? Well, you can find me as one-fifth of the Five-ish Fangirls. You can find us on Facebook under the Five-ish Fangirls. You can find us on our webpage at the Fangirls.com. And for me personally, you can follow me on Twitter at hollymac underscore 79 and also on Instagram at hollymac underscore 79. Perfect. And folks, we definitely be sure to check out the five-ish bangles. They're definitely worth your time. And also check out the vocal exploits of Christine Perus because she's a fantastic, fantastic uh, audiobook reader. She definitely is quite the actress for sure. When it comes to me, for you country music lovers, I also host the radio show Whiskey and Cigarettes, where we play today's country, traditional country, and everything else in between. For more about that and where to do it, you can visit our website. That's whiskeyandcigarettesshow.com. Podcast-wise, feel free to also check out our more recent project gold standard the oscars movie podcast where with co-hosts zan sprouse and rachel friend another part of the five-ish fangos we're reviewing all the movies that won the oscar for best picture from 1927's wings to the present day should any listeners wish to join us for a discussion you can shoot us an email goldstandardoscars at gmail.com and you can also find us on twitter and facebook also recently we wrapped up the wonderful tv show that was one uh, division or should i say the disney plus show one division on the fan Zone with Charles Skaggs and Jesse Jackson. We're now going to be discussing the first three episodes of Superman and Lois. And following that, next week, of course, Falcon and Winter Soldier. Can't wait for that. Uh, we also are part of, I'm also part of Titan Talk with Charles and Jesse, but that is currently on hiatus as we wait for the new seasons of Titans and Doom Patrol. And speaking of things to come on this show, next week we will be discussing the one and only Logan. That said, when it comes to you, Christine, when it comes to you, Holly, thank you so, so much for joining me today. Love having you on here, and I certainly look forward to having you both back very soon. Thank you. It was it was great, and I'm looking forward to coming back anytime. <laughs> exactly what she said. <laughs> Thank you both very, very much. It's always a blast with you both, ladies. And, folks, we will, of course, then see you next week with Logan. Until then, stay super. Ciao, my people. Don't ever say you're lonely. Just lay your problems on me, and I'll be waiting there for you. The stars can be so blinding when you get tired of fighting You know the one you can look to When the vision you have gets blurry You don't have to worry, I'll be alright That's the least I can do Cause when I fell, you pull me through So you know that I'll carry you